Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. Beautiful people! Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode of An Immigrant's Life. If you're one of those individuals that likes content, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at An Immigrant's Life. You can find out the topic of the upcoming episode. I post pictures of the guests if you want to see what they look like. And I also post audio snippets of the episodes there, so go check it out. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For the ones that have not subscribed or followed yet, please do me a favor. Click on the subscribe button or follow button so you won't miss an episode. You help me out. Everybody happy, you know? On a personal note, not that you guys care, but I'll tell you anyway, the days here in Montreal are now becoming longer and temperature is consistently heating up, which makes me happy since it allows me to go cycling and hike again. How about you? What are you excited about on this third quarter of the year? Let me know. Reach out. I'd love to hear from you. And while I'm waiting for your messages, let's talk about this week's episode. Our guest today is one of the most genuine, kind, and caring individuals I've ever met. She's an amazing teacher, and I wish we have more teachers like her. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today our guest is a hurricane sprinkled with glitters. She's a traveler, an aesthetician, and a super passionate teacher. Everyone, please welcome Sadia Hak. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. Mm. So, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Sadia. Uh, I'm living in Vaudreuil-Dorion, born and raised in the Montreal area. Uh, I'm working currently at Gordon Robertson Beauty Academy as an aesthetics and a hair removal teacher. And I also work at Spa Saphir in uh, Vaudreuil-Dorion as an esthetician and hair removal specialist. Specifically electrologist. What's hair removal? Like, like, oh, like, like permanent hair removal. Oh, you got like, like legs and the arms and whatnot. I specialize in the face because I do oh. mostly electrolysis. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah, permanent hair removal. So I, mm. I kill hair for a living, and then I teach <laughs> girls how to do it too. How does it not grow back? Uh, we're basically killing the blood supply. We're killing the the place that supplies the hair with growth, all mm. the nutrients it needs to grow, and we're mm. destroying that. Is that good? <laughs> it's great. It's been around for over a hundred years. The techniques that I'm using, they've been around mm. for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's great. It's safe. It's efficient. It's permanent. What's the device that you use to kill the thing? Um, I actually take a little tiny needle and I put it inside the hair follicle and I send oh. an electrical current. Well, how many needles are there? Just one. So you just one by one in the pore? One by one. Wow. That's painstaking. Yeah. Um, depends on the person. But it's fun. <laughs> Are you like torturing people? No, no. Uh, I, I don't 
think it's about torturing people. I do it as comfortable as possible, obviously, but mm. it's about uh, giving my clients a better lifestyle mm-hmm. and uh, a better image of self and, you know, self-confidence in their day-to-day life. Yeah. So it's yeah. really rewarding. Yeah. Of course, that torture. Yeah, that's my crazy mind. I just think thinking that way. Oh, I, I, I hear these words, but, you know, I'm a positive person, so I'll always flip it around and... <laughs> You know, that's that's not why we're doing it. Remember what the goal is, right? <laughs> you got to remember that end game. Of course, of course. Don't listen to me. I'm just like... <laughs> I've heard it all. It's all good. <laughs> so, like I said in my intro, you're a traveler. What do you love about traveling? Uh, culture and history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, like... I've been to a lot of places in Europe and the history is really rich. I, it's, it's awesome. I like to go to those history museums and just educate myself and just kind of absorb the atmosphere of where I am. Mm. Yeah. Like everything is old. I love those old cities. Those in medieval cities are, mm. they're amazing. Yeah. What do you like about them? Um, there's this feeling, there's a certain feeling that there's just been a lot. And then the more you unravel about the city, um, you start to understand the infrastructure, where it comes from, why it's there. And uh, it's just, it's really interesting. Mm. I, guess I'm, I guess I'm just a bit of a nerd. I'm a nerd too. Well, I love it. We need, we need nerds in this world, right? So. That's right. That's right. I just don't like the nerds that bullies. Well, you know, what I, I mean? don't like, I don't like any type of bullying. I mean, exactly, that's not tolerated. Yeah, because it's funny. Like back in the days, you know, nerds get bullied, and now nerds are cool, and they become bullies themselves. You know, that's a it's a funny thing about the the human psyche, right? We like to to kind of get our own revenge, I guess. But mm. yeah, is that really worth it? Nah, nah. I got other things to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> More productive things to do. Exactly. So how many countries have you been to? I'd actually have to count. So USA, obviously. Mexico, Spain, Portugal, Netherlands, England, France. And we could count Japan, but I was two years old. So I don't know if we should. <laughs> Uh, Although my first memory is from there, so I think we should count it. You've been there, but I guess you didn't absorb the culture. Oh, no, definitely not. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like, yeah, we could count it, but kind of like half. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that one gets like a little drop. How did you end up there? Um, my uncle was working there and living there with the family. And, uh, I was the only one out of the four kids that went with the parents to Japan. I was the youngest. Mm. So they brought, you know, they shipped my brothers off in Toronto with the family, with (laughs) other family. And they, they brought me along. You're the favorite. (laughs) I don't know about favorite. Um, I'm the only girl and I'm the youngest. So I guess, you know, it gives a push in, uh, a certain direction of uh, we, we got to keep her protected and around, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. So with all those countries that you mentioned, which are your top three favorite countries? Um, Spain was really cool. Mm. And there's a lot in Spain to discover, like 
that's that's a time um one of the times I went to Spain I ended up in Toledo which was one of the medieval cities hmm. and there's plenty more like it well not like it but you know medieval cities out there and uh really rich culture really diverse culture so that'd be up there the Netherlands was super cool um Amsterdam hmm. was beautiful really yeah. cool city really eerie city but really cool city why eerie again it's history rich like a lot has happened in Amsterdam a big part of World War II uh, a lot of history there it's it's big did you go to Anne Frank's house <laughs> I did mm-hmm. how was I that? Did, that that was an experience you know, and that's what I that's what I mean by that feeling, you know, when you go to these historical places that have these crazy stories, you really you feel it. You feel the history that's there. You feel the energy that's there. Mm. And certain cities have that kind of energy. And Amsterdam is one of those cities. Yeah, there's a vibe. Definitely a vibe, but beautiful culture. Like you see, you know, the Sanka said out there, everybody's just flooding the alleyways speaking mm. Deutsch to each other all beautifully. <laughs> How long did you stay? Three days. Okay, okay. Yeah. But did you do the like the country hopping that usually people do? Um, I did three trips to Europe. So the first one, we did three countries. So I lied, actually. There's uh, seven countries I went to. Mm. Um, eight. Um, I did in the first one... Our first stop was Amsterdam, then we went to Paris, and then we went to um, London. Mm. I can say that you enjoy because your face lights up when you say <laughs> For sure, for sure. It's like all the memories that are flooding too, and I miss traveling, right? Like yeah. I had big plans for 2020, and mm-hmm. all those went out the window. Yeah. So speaking of that, which country would you be visiting once this craziness finally settled um look the last trip we went on it was to um, barcelona as a whole family i forget exactly how many we were in the plane but we were double digits um, <laughs> <laughs> brown family right you took Huge. over <laughs> yeah it was grandparents um parents and kids right so <laughs> Uh, we were a lot and we had a lot of fun. So I think after this whole debacle is done, we might do something like that again, but maybe not Europe, maybe something a bit more affordable. Mm, that's cool. That's cool. So since my the podcast is about immigration and all that, are you originally from Vaudreuil? No, um, I grew up in the West Island in Montreal mm. uh, all the way up until like what's it sec two mm-hmm. yeah and then i moved out to um le Coteau. that's near mm-hmm. the ontario border it's like a little town mm-hmm. village i guess yeah very small town let's say about 45 minutes from montreal about so yeah it's a beautiful place so by the way uh what's your ethnicity i'm half pakistani and half french canadian Oh, the future so my people. Dad's, uh, you know, the, the beige. <laughs> uh, my dad's from uh, Karachi in Pakistan, and my mom is from Alfred, Ontario. Okay. Wow. Is she 
Is your mom, is she Caucasian? Yeah. How did they meet? <laughs> uh, they met like during the expo times, you know, 70s uh, at La Ronde. Mm. I don't know the, the full story, but I know they met at La Ronde. Wow. La Ronde, by the way, for the listeners, is a, uh, what do you call this? Uh, An amusement park? Yeah, amusement park? park here in Montreal. Very famous. So they're just chilling there and they like, hey, I like you. You like me. Let's hang out. Honestly, I really don't know how it happened. My parents divorced when I was pretty young. Okay. But um, so I don't have the full story. Mm. But um, I always found it kind of interesting because my mom didn't speak much English then. And my dad's English was pretty basic, too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they they struggled in the beginning to communicate. Mm -hmm, for sure. Uh, like, who's that guy? Michael Bublé and his wife. His wife is, like, I think, Russian, and she doesn't speak a word of English. But they dated, and now they're married. Mm. I mean, but So you said your dad's from Pakistan. Uh, do you know why he came here and when he came here? He went to Germany before he came to Canada. Um, I know my dad wanted to become an Air Force pilot in Pakistan, mm -hmm. but my grandmother wouldn't let him. She she was worried about him. She didn't want him to. And so uh, he ended up going to Germany, I guess, just trying to find himself in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. And um, then he came to Canada. And uh, that was in the 70s, mm -hmm. early 70s. Do you know why he didn't stay in Germany? I'm not sure why he didn't stay in Germany. Mm -hmm. I should ask him that. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, because... I mean, Germany is a pretty cool country. It is a cool country. You know, like you said, it's like full of history. It is. It mm. is. I mean, it's a new country, but it's full that's of right. history. That's one of, one of them I forgot. I have been in Germany. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, nice place. So you mentioned your parents are not together anymore. How old were yeah. you when they divorced? I was five. Oh, very young. Yeah. You don't even remember them being together? Not much. Mm. So who did you stay with? Oof. In the beginning, I was with mom. But, you know, I'd see my dad often, like dinner once a week and then weekends. And then um, after a while, I was one week, one week, kind of just split in between both. And then eventually... Um, in my high school years, I moved in with my mom permanently. Mm. Um, and then at the end, when I went to college, I was living with my dad. So it was, I was kind of everywhere. Mm, that's good. So can I assume that you are close to both sides? Uh, no, no, mm. I'm definitely closer to my, my dad's side of the family. Mm. How so? Um, I didn't really, my mom only has one brother and I didn't grow up getting to know him much. I know my brothers knew him more than I did. Mm. And I do have some cousins on that side. I couldn't even tell you their name, mm. to be honest. Wow. Yeah, that makes me feel really bad. Mm. <laughs> but I, I never really got to know them, uh, to know them growing up. And then on my dad's side, I mean, we were just always with our cousins on weekends um we had cousins that lived in Broussard 
my dad is uh, from a family that had eight children. Mm. So loads of cousins, <laughs> <laughs> loads of cousins. And like the summer times, our cousins from Toronto used to come out here for two weeks and we'd go out there for two weeks. Like we were just always together. Mm. So we were, we we're much closer. Mm. It was more, we had that like, that community that we were always there for each other. We were always together. Family. Beautiful. I love that. So you mentioned that you would like to elaborate on French family versus Pakistani family dynamics. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things about those dynamics that are, there's pros and cons to everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like on my French side of the family is what I usually say. The French side, when I see them, you know, twice a year, um, when we greet each other, it's kisses um, and it's very touchy. And then on, you know, my Pakistani side, it's more conservative. It's more like maybe hugs between the ladies, but like a shoulder tap between the, you know, uncle and niece and, <laughs> and cousins. Yeah. The, the boy cousins is a shoulder tap, you know, it's like a sideways kind of half hug. Huh? <laughs> um, there's that dynamic, but there's also just the whole dynamic of that, that family that I was just talking about, that community that hmm. I really felt on my Pakistani side of the family that I didn't necessarily feel on the French side of the family, I actually kind of felt like a bit of an outcast. Like I felt like a bit stared at when I go on because we wouldn't see each other often and we mm. didn't really blend in. Right. We'd have wow. like the four, like the four brown kids walk in when we were younger. <laughs> right. And like the whole white family, which is it's cool, but there was a certain like, like, I don't want to say anything negative. Mm. Um, because I never felt like, um, any negative feelings. I just didn't feel maybe that sense of belonging, mm. right. That I did feel on the other side of the family. Yeah. The warmth. Yeah. Well, no, they are warm. They're, they're lovely people. They're warm. Like I said, you know, we're greeted with kisses and like, that's, that's the, the, the French culture. Mm. Um, there's definitely a warmth there, but it, it wasn't, I didn't know them. Mm. So it's not like, how are you supposed to feel welcomed when you kind of don't look the part and then you don't know the people and like, you're not, you're always kind of watching what you're saying. You, you don't know if you should be yourself and it's not anyone's fault. Really. It's just, we, we didn't really get to know each other. Well, did you try to extend your arm and be close to them? As an adult, I can't say that I have, no. Hmm. And that's why I say, you know, like, it's nobody's fault, but in reality, it's kind of everybody's fault. Yeah. But we get into this groove of comfortability, and sometimes we just don't like leaving that groove. I think it's that and also familiarity, like... I have reached out recently to my other cousins because nice. obviously we've all grown up and we don't hang out all summer anymore. We don't go to each other's house on the weekends anymore. Like that's not adult life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, most, most of my cousins all have kids and you know, they're, they're, we're all grown up. So we've definitely had a bit more um, distance between us. Mm -hmm. I've been working 
a lot in the last years. I haven't given myself a chance to go to Toronto and see my family. I'm traveling and doing this and that on my time off, but I haven't really gone out there. Like we'll see each other maybe once every two years, obviously at weddings, but um, I have reached out or he reached out to me and it was so nice to reconnect. It just felt like we were kids again. Mm-hmm. You know, we have that sense of familiarity because we've had that relationship built since mm-hmm. I was in my diapers. He was older than me. So, you know, he used to give me my bottle. <laughs> we used to spend every summer <laughs> together. So we have that that um, that familiarity mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have with the other side of the family. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you mentioned that you moved to Lake Kutu, which is like, let's say the sticks. Yeah. Because it's far from the city, right? Was there, did you feel welcome there? Or were there some frictions against the other students? Well, the year that I moved, or that I changed schools, I should say, because my mom had already moved out there. But I was still going to um, St. Georges, which is a melting pot of different cultures. Um, so by the time I changed schools, it was um, 2001 in December. So um, there was a lot of, you know, media about 9-11, about terrorism. And um, there is a, a certain people in Quebec like anywhere that's just not really cultured that don't know better Mm. that don't learn better and uh, they teach their children right and I go to school with those children and so sometimes it was even a hostile environment um, with what these kids would say Mm. but I did find, you know, my little gang of friends, like you, you always end up finding your way, right? Mm-hmm. You keep trying and you find your way, but um, it definitely wasn't an acceptance feeling <laughs> over there. Mm. Yeah. So you you said you move around the 9-11 era? Yeah, December of that year. Whoa. Yeah. That's, that must be rough. <laughs> It wasn't easy, for sure. For sure. I was, what, 14? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So, Perfect time, too. <laughs> right, right. Like, think of yourself at 14. Like, you're, you're, that was not smart. Like, we don't know better. We're learning. For, we're looking for ourselves. Like, mm. we don't know. We think we know everything. And we don't know nothing. And we're emotional creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, the um, hormones are firing up. That's it. That's it. So yeah. it was definitely not a good combination. But um, there's if there's one thing I learned from that at a very young age is, you know, if you pretend to be somebody else, people won't like you. If you're yourself, people won't like you. So you might as well just be yourself and own it. Yeah, even now, people don't like you if you're being you. And that's okay, you know? We don't have to like everybody. Sometimes our energies just don't match, and that's okay. Exactly, sure. So, in those dark times, who was the person who you leaned on most? I used to go on the internet a lot. I was an internet Mm -hmm. kid. I had internet friends. 
at the beginning, you know? And um, when I started making friends, like some of the taunting calmed down. And I also, you know, took some measures for myself. Um, well, you threw hands? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they used to call me Osama bin Laden's daughter. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry for laughing, but I no, laugh okay. at the worst things. It's okay. It's okay. And um, a Tamil, which they don't even know what that means. <laughs> not even but, close. You know, and then, you know, some other things that I'm, I'm not going to say just because it's really, really mean and really inappropriate. Um, and so one day I was just like word this is how it's going to go down so I actually went to school wearing a shalvar kameez and I put a hijab on my head badass yeah and um, I thought I was going to get like serious backlash or you know something in- intense was going to happen that day but no in the end um, some of it actually calmed down because mm. they probably got intimidated that you know you're like yeah what's up this is me i think there's partially that but i think i don't know what young me was thinking but one thing that did develop from that was that conversations were opened and education was possible so teachers started asking me questions Mm. about my culture about my background um about my religion and yeah, opening up that conversation gave them the chance to, you know, ask me those questions. And I think in any situation of ignorance like that, education is always key. And a lot of times people don't know how to ask or feel uncomfortable to ask. And so like I said, young me wasn't trying to make that statement. By by young me making that statement, I ended up sowing that mm-hmm. or reaping that from what I sowed. Mm. Were you the only "quote unquote" colored person there in that school? Um, from sec two to sec five, the one that actually stayed there, yes. Intermittently, there was three other people I could think of. Mm. And we were a school of about 2,000 students. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Talking about minority. Yeah, (laughs) talk about minorities, right. Wow. If you put me in a gang of brown people, I'm going to stand out a little bit because, you know, I'm kind of pale. You're light-skinned. That's it. But if you, you put me... In a gang of like French Quebecois, I'm definitely standing out. Everything is standing out. My name is standing out. Mm-hmm. Did you become friends with these other minorities or? There was one, yeah. Um, she was actually in my phys ed class and she was like six foot tall and nobody messed with her. No, nobody looked at her sideways. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it was in sec three or something. And uh, the time she was there, whenever she was around, like people just didn't bother me. She was a really cool girl. Mm, shout really out to nice her. Girl. Yeah, you know, shout out to her for real. Mm, that's cool. I like that you mentioned about 
if you go with the Quebecois, you will stand out. But if you go to brown people or Pakistani, you will also stand out. Yeah, for sure. Was it ever an issue with you? I mean, within the whole big Pakistani community, I, I hear some things like they like to talk and whatever, but that it never really fazed me. What would Not they really, say? No. Um, I don't speak Urdu, hmm. but I understand a lot of it. And so they would assume that I don't speak Urdu. Hmm. And they'd just be like, oh, who's that white girl? Or, <laughs> you know, just like, yeah, just like random, random little petty gossip things, like nothing hmm. terrible. Just hmm. like, who's that white girl? What's she doing here? Like, just little things. Yeah. I call it the Bob Marley syndrome because Bob Marley is half black, half white. So when he used to hang out with the black people, they don't accept him because they say, oh, you're white. But if he goes to the white side, they will say, no, you're black. Right. So Right. Did well, that within, did... My, within my family, I never felt that. No. You know, like with my, my aunties, my uncles, my cousins, I never felt that. Hmm. Um. Like I said, within the community, like, definitely. Hmm. So what sorts of challenges did you face growing up with an immigrant dad? <laughs> Honestly, with my dad, he was a little bit overprotective when I was younger. Hmm. But my dad is super easygoing. Like for a Pakistani Muslim dad, he's really easygoing. Hmm. Um, yeah, no. I I can't say that I I had much. Maybe like you know he couldn't help me with my homework because he doesn't speak French, mm -hmm. and I went to French school. Um, maybe little things like that, you know. But like, I didn't feel anything significant. How about sleepovers? Oh, I was good for sleepovers. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. your dad's awesome. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's really easygoing. Like, and remember, I'm the fourth kid, right? Mm. So, would my eldest brother feel the same or say the same? Mm. Mm. Maybe not. Yeah, probably not. Because the the, okay. the more kids, I guess you're the fourth one. You're like, you know what? If you want to play with the chainsaw, play it outside. Yeah, a little bit of that, <laughs> and a little bit of like they've already kind of buttered him up and made him kind of accustomed to the Canadian culture. Like mm. he realized, I'm sure by kid number two that like, okay, no, these are Canadian kids. These are not going to be <laughs> Pakistani kids, right? Your siblings, are they boys, girls? All boys. Oh, wow. In yeah. in Filipino, we call it solo hija. Solo hija. Yeah, it means the only daughter. Yeah. Right. So I'm pretty sure that's like extra for you because you're being... You, you're the princess. <laughs> Literally what my dad calls me. That's really <laughs> funny. Really funny still. So since you are half French-Canadian, half Pakistani, did you suffer from dual identity? And how did you deal with it? Yeah, I can't say I ever suffered from dual identity. I feel like maybe I associate a little bit more with my Pakistani culture. Um, 
And I think that's really just a feeling because I'm totally Canadian. Let's be real. I don't even speak Urdu, right? So mm. <laughs> I'm totally Canadian. Um, but dual, no, I, I feel like I've been able to kind of embrace both of it and just the multiculturalism. Mm. That's beautiful. You know, I, I think it's cool. And then the, the grandkids now, you know, my nieces and nephews, they're, they're little, all little mixed kids. <laughs> you know, they're quarter Pakistani, quarter Irish, quarter this, quarter that. They're like, you know, they're the future, like you said, right? Yeah, the future kids. <laughs> the future kids. So you're a esthetician now, right? I am an esthetician, aesthetics teacher. Mm -hmm. well, can you explain that to my uneducated brain? Uh, esthetician will do everything related to beauty, basically, except for hair. So we remove hair. We do nails, uh, pedicures, skin care, body care. Um, and yeah. How did you end up doing that gig? Mm, how did I end up in beauty? That's a fun story. Um, I actually had no idea where I was going with anything. I, I dropped out of social sciences in CGEP, took a business class. Um, after the business class, I ended up wanting to take a mechanics course, like auto mechanics. <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, I grew up with three big brothers. Um, I grew up around my cousins, lots of boys. And my cousin, Samir, he He used to always, you know, show me things, show me how to change a tire, show me how to change oil. He'd always be working on his car with me. Like hmm. everybody else was like, oh, I don't want to hang out with Sadia. You know, she's, she's a little cousin, like, yeah. But Samir was like, all right, come, come, let's do this. You know, when I was really young and I always thought it was super cool and I'd help him out. Um, so I figured out by then that I wanted to work with my hands but I wanted to do something manual. And uh, I figured I'd give that a try. It's interesting, I'll learn. And um, my dad did not feel the same way about it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my, my dad was like, what do you mean you signed up to mechanic school? You're a woman. How, are you gonna go home and cook dinner with dirty hands? Like, <laughs> like what do you mean, you know? And, um, I, <laughs> I I was I was pretty upset about it. I was what, 18 at the time? Mm -hmm. And um yeah, I was pretty pretty upset about it. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm not gonna go to mechanic school. I'm not gonna disappoint my dad. Mm -hmm. Not the other thing I want to do, right? I'm not trying to start a feud for for that. Find mm -hmm. something else. So um I ended up going to Internet College, LaSalle College, mm -hmm. and taking the makeup course. Um, that makeup course, first of all, I knew nothing about makeup. D did you want to do it or you just like, whatever? I mean, it was kind of cool, but it was more like, oh, you don't want me to do a guy thing. I'll do the girliest thing I could find. Okay. Rebellion. A bit. Yeah. Mm. 18 year old me, right? <laughs> yeah. A little bit of that rebellious bone. And, um, I knew nothing about makeup. I barely wore any, you know, I, was, I grew up a bit of a tomboy mm. and, um, Ended up absolutely loving it. 
absolutely loving it. I thought it was super cool. Morphology was really cool. Um, and, you know, I did a bit of work in that. And after doing a bit of work in that, um, I just wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. So that's when I went to aesthetic school and learned skincare and nail care and all of that goodness and then i took the specialization of electrolysis and you know went out there into the field you went you went nuts on it a little bit a little bit i had a lot of fun i had a lot of fun i could say that much That's i never awesome. thought that i'd end up in the beauty industry but um yeah yeah it's it, it was definitely a surprise to, to myself but uh it was a great choice you said you're a teacher right I am a teacher. What made you decide to be a teacher? <laughs> All right. So when I was going to school at the Gordon Robertson Beauty Academy as a student, I was walking down the hallway one day and um, I thought to myself, one day I'm going to teach here. It just felt right. Like once I've gotten enough experience in the industry, that's what I'm going to do. Because I did see myself as a teacher at some point. That's why I was in social sciences. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but that was one of the options out there. Hmm. And um, yeah, from that moment on, that was kind of like my my end game, if you will, at that point in time. Hmm. And so I had the opportunity to teach at Intertech College where I, I took my makeup course and I took it. And so that's how I, I fell into it. Hmm. What made you think that you want to be a teacher? Um, there's something about just being able to transfer knowledge and know-how to somebody else and that passion, like I've had amazing teachers. Mm. I've had not so good teachers, especially now in my path at university. Like there's some, I've had not great teachers and I've had some amazing teachers and I've had some really great ones at the Gordon Robertson Beauty Academy mm. and they inspired me. And I admired them. And so um, I admired what they did, how they did it. Because when I went to trade school, it wasn't your usual learning. I wasn't just sitting in a classroom, you know, for hours on end, taking notes, listening to somebody speak. Like it was completely different. They mm. engage us. They use different types of learning activities and really engage us and make the information not only you know good but fun and you absorb it so much more easily that way mm. and watching them do their thing and you know there's always a, that one person that you really admire that you look up to that you know one day you feel like yeah I want to be like them right mm -hmm. yeah and I had some great teachers over there too and so I think that's really what did inspire that whole train of thought Mm -hmm. that's awesome so what's the most challenging part of teaching pre-pandemic or post-pandemic um, both i guess both um i think the most challenging thing about teaching is finding different creative ways to be able to capture every single student in your classroom mm to be able to make that information tangible for them, for them to be able to understand completely complex and abstract concepts simply. Mm. Do you ever have a student that you knew will not pass? We all have students like that because we see 
if you're if you're doing your job correctly as a teacher, you're doing a lot of follow-up. Mm-hmm. And as you're doing these follow-up assessments, whether it's practical or whether it's an assignment, like you get to see how your student is performing and what they've retained and absorbed. So mm-hmm. you know, like you can make a really, really good prediction on who's going to succeed and who's not going to succeed. Did you ever approach those ones that would not succeed and you'd be like, hey, dude, you're wasting time. Get out of here. Never. <laughs> you're still okay? Never. No, no, no. But that's, that's a good question because I have approached them not on that vibe. It's more, um, it's actually a whole program we have at the school right now, a mentorship program where we target those students and we figure out what's going on or try to help them figure out what's going on, why they're not succeeding, how we can help them succeed, what tools do they need to succeed. So it's not about, hey, you're about to fail. It's about, hey, look, I'm seeing you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not performing at the level that you're supposed to be. What's up and how can we get you where you need to be? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not like, listen, you're not cut out for this. You know, that's not our decision to make. You're a good teacher. I wish you had a teacher like you back in algebra days. I would have known (laughs) what. I don't think so. You don't want me teaching algebra. (laughs) Well, at least passionate, you know? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, I think that it's the passionate teachers that we need because there are passionate teachers out there. Like I've mm-hmm. had, like I said, I've had some awesome teachers. Even yeah. at university now, I've had some really inspiring teachers that, that, you know, that put that fire in my belly, that make me want to go and create materials for my students to put fire in their belly to learn. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it has yeah. this whole domino effect, that inspiration. And that's the kind of teachers we do need for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Because I remember I had a teacher back in high school and he taught us chemistry, which is, you know, there's some math in there and I'm not good in math. But he was so good. He was so passionate that I understood everything. I actually right. like chemistry. So I graduated high school like in two years. I went to college and I had to take chemistry again. I did not remember anything. I didn't absorb anything because the teacher was like, this is the water with H2O. You know what I mean? Like very boring, no passion at all. But I'm glad that there are teachers like you out in the world trying to educate and inspire people, students. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So what's the most fulfilling part of being a teacher? Um, yeah, that's going to sound so silly. Uh, exam day. <laughs> right. My students have to do a lot of practical exams. Mm -hmm. And in a practical exam, you're not allowed to intervene unless, you know, there is going to be a health or safety risk. Mm. So I sit back and I see what they have absorbed and how they perform. And we're doing competency-based learning. So it means that you're able to do the task or you're unable to do the task. It's it's pretty much a pass or fail, right? Mm-hmm. So um, most recently, the reason why I'm saying that because it's the first thing that popped up in my head. Um, I was thinking about my girls that just passed their massage exam. Mm-hmm. Sat back, I put the relaxation music on. I set the vibe. They set their stations up, greeted their clients, and I just watched them perform beautifully. And 
it was really, really just amazing. Like, especially after, you know, being in confinement, it was one of the first things I did after confinement was their exams. So after being in confinement for what, from March to June, their exams were probably in July. It was beautiful. It was almost like poetic Mm -hmm. to just watch them perform so beautifully, having every single stick being put in their wheel. They didn't get to practice for three months. Wow. You're a good teacher then. They're great girls. You were like the conductor and they're like killing it with their oboes and their trumpets. And that's it. And that's it. So I was just a super content conductor, just sitting there watching them perform. And I was just like, that's amazing. Good job. <laughs> you know, standing ovation. You, you said massage. Where did they get the clients? Well, most of the time in that competency, because it's just facial massage, it's not a body massage. Oh, okay. Um, they practice between each other. And that's a prerequisite for when they're doing skincare treatments because there's a massage involved in that. So it's, they're learning by steps, right? So they're learning about the skin. They're learning how to examine the skin, um, how the skin relates into the body's organs, how we can see how certain things react because the skin mirrors what's going on inside. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we start to do some manual work. So some massaging and then we get into facial treatments. Yeah, we do the whole face, the neck, and the shoulders. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I like when people massage my face. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's you're super like, relaxing. I like this. Right? <laughs> and depending on what techniques you're doing, you're doing different things. So if you're trying to relax your client, you're going to do more effleurages. If you're trying to plump the skin, you're going to do more, you know, more kneading techniques and more lifting techniques. Plump the skin? How, what do you mean? Um, when you're massaging, you're stimulating blood flow and blood is carrying nutrients. So if you're trying, like there's certain plumping techniques you can use as well on expression lines with serums to help them plump out. So like before doing a makeup application, that's something I like to do. Actually, I like to take my 3d lift serum, um, by jam Collin and the 3d lift cream and I'll use the serum and, you know, plump mm-hmm. up the skin and uh, then I've got a beautiful canvas to work on instead. Yeah, you're, you're so right. So let's stick with the makeup thing. You seem to be an independent woman. Would you say you are a feminist? <sighs> I, I find it hard to associate with mm. feminism because... You know, the movement is one thing, and then what it means to each and every person is something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely for, you know, women empowerment. Mm-hmm. I do know that a lot of women's industries don't get the, the props that they deserve. You know, mm-hmm. we don't we don't get unionized. We don't get, like, we, we don't get a lot of things that we really do deserve. And um, that being said, a feminist? I guess in its very, very traditional sense from the 70s, I sure am. What do you mean? I mean, I'm all for equal rights. I'm all for us being equal as people because we are, right? Yeah. No matter what you are, you're, you're trans, you know, you're, you're, you're gay, you're lesbian, you're bi, you're black, you're white, you're a woman, you're male, like 
we're humans. So I'm for human rights and for mm. everybody being equal. Me too, not me for too. not for, you know, femme empowerment. Yeah. We're we're even, you know. Yeah, you're right. Like going back to our point earlier that when the nerds become the bullies, you know, like don't do that. Just go equal, not go over the you know. That's it. That's it. And you know, when they were younger and they were bullies, they were probably living through something themselves. Everything has a domino effect. A reaction has a reaction. So if he was being bullied by his dad, then he was coming to school and bullying you. And now you're grown up and you know better because you know how it feels and you go ahead and bully. Mm-hmm. I mean, all in all, I think, you know, you might be the worst bully. Yeah. Because he was, you know, 14, 15. He was just reacting to what was going on. Yeah. You had the choice. That's it. Like, as an adult, we all have choices to make, and uh, it's not a very good one. Yeah. So I asked, by the way, that feminist question, because that will lead to my second question. So what's your opinion on people saying makeup is not feminist? I don't know. It sounds like something a man would say, for (laughs) one. (laughs) No, no, um, I'm just playing on that still. Um, I, I don't really know what to say about that. Like, what? Why? Why would you even? Not you, but like, mm. why would that train of thought come about? Like, m- makeup is—it's been around since the times of Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe even before that. That's just the latest documents we have of it, right? So. Mm why is it that now it's not feminist like cleopatra used to rule the land she was she was a pharaoh she mm-hmm. wore makeup like that was pure woman empowerment so mm-hmm. i i makeup is not feminist i don't know i've i think i've heard of that um idea before and mm-hmm. i probably just ignored it because it sounds like something i don't really want to talk about like, okay if you want to, no, I, I don't mean it like that. I mean, like, if you want to wear makeup, wear makeup. Yeah. If you don't want to wear makeup, don't wear makeup. Like, I know Alicia Keys and Alyssa Cara went on this makeup free for years now, and they're beautiful women and they have beautiful skin and they're rocking it. Yeah, it doesn't you know? help that they have millions of dollars, okay? That's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, Alicia, I mean, I love Alicia, so please, this is not in a bad way. She's not young either, but her skin is just fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you're able to to do that and you're happy like that, at the end of the day, that's really what matters, right? Are you happy? Like I had nowhere to go today. I had nowhere to go yesterday, but I felt like wearing makeup. Mm-hmm. There's days that I go to work and I don't feel like wearing makeup. And so I don't because my skin is good. So I'm not trying to cover anything. I'm not trying to, I'm not wearing a mask. It's, it's a form of self-expression. So if Mm. you feel like doing it and you want to do it, then do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I seen um, a meme go around of this guy that likes to match his drink to what he's wearing. He literally (laughs) put food coloring in his water to make it, you know, the same color as his t-shirt. I've never seen that yeah, right. So if you if you want to express yourself in that way, cool. Like, mm. who am I to judge you? Yeah. Do your thing. Do You're your not thing. hurting nobody. That's it. Do your thing. Do your thing. 
But let me say to the ladies out there, if you are suffering from acne and you're just covering it up with makeup, please remember taking care of your skin is so important. Like that's the canvas to your makeup, right? So take care of that skin before you do anything. Oh, what happens? Well, if you're not removing your makeup properly and you're allowing, you know, more bacteria to proliferate, acne could spread. Also, if you don't have good skincare or if you're just cleaning off your makeup and you're not going putting a good moisturizer on, you're causing more dehydration, possible premature aging. Um, there's a lot of things associated with improper skincare, especially when you're wearing makeup. Like sleeping mm-hmm. with your makeup on, your, your skin, skin doesn't breathe. It doesn't have lungs. Your skin can't secrete the way that it usually secretes. It can't act in the same way because it does have an occlusion over it, right? Mm-hmm. So you you do need to remember that your skin is living. It's the largest organ of your body. It's your first, 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 first soldier at protecting you against outside invaders. Like your skin is so much more important than, oh, it's just my skin. Like, no, no, that's your armor. Mm. So you got to make sure that's healthy. And then have fun. Do your thing. Wear makeup. Take care of your skin. That's beautiful. Speaking of skin, I suffered through acne when I was younger. And I went to a dermatologist. And the dermatologist said, just use Dove, the soap. And you're going to be okay. Is that right? Did it work? Not really. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, if you're using, those are called surfactants. When we're using harsh soaps, they have a larger amount of surfactants that are stripping oils from your skin. Mm. So yes, the bacteria does like to feed on oil. But does that mean that you should strip your skin completely of all oils? No, because then your skin is going to defend itself and produce more oil. Mm. So then you're just going to have this constant kind of cycle. And like you said, it didn't really help. It just kind of dried, you know, it probably dried the lesions out a little bit. Yeah. And then other lesions would pop up. Mm-hmm. But then they'd be almost underneath the skin, right? Instead yeah. of being at the surface. And when they're underneath, they're more painful. Mm-hmm. You know what helped? It was proactive. <laughs> what? 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 It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you know, and especially old school proactive. Oh, man, at least they've changed the ingredients for now. Mm. Um, like, I don't, I don't want to talk bad about anybody's secret remedies. You know, my cousin, um, but was using pro- my cousin was using proactive and, mm. you know, that's one thing that you're going to hear from an esthetician. It's like, Oh, you're using proactive. Okay. Have you tried to stop? <laughs> all right. And what happened? Oh, it all came back. Right. Mm. Like my cousin, I remember at some point he told me that he was using it in his thirties and I was like, have you tried to stop? He's like, yeah. And I still, I still get some. And I'm like, you, you're not supposed to get juvenile acne in your thirties. It's, it's very harsh, the treatment and your skin will adapt to it because we're made to adapt, right? Mm. We're made to kind of micro evolve like that and adapt to our conditions. So if that's a condition your skin has had to live in since you were, you know, 15, then yeah, it's going to adapt to it. Is it good for your skin? No, 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 I don't, mm. don't think so. So what should be like a person that has some acne? What should that person do like every night? 
and what kind of products they should use? Well, I always suggest that you talk to your esthetician, book yourself a facial for one, because in that service, that service shouldn't only be about receiving the service. It should also be about getting to know your skin and getting to know how to treat your skin at home. Because mm. you can come and see me once a month, right? And then you're supposed to take care of your skin 60 times in a month. So twice a day, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do it once out of 60. You're going to do it 59 out of 60. So my job as an esthetician is not only to give you the service, but also to educate you on your skin and how to take care of it. If you're suffering from acne, I do suggest you talk to your esthetician because there's different kinds of acne. If you're an adult, you may have acne rosacea. Sometimes people think they have acne, but it's really just a hormonal breakouts that keep on coming and they pick at them and they're spreading it. Mm. So it, it really needs to be evaluated by somebody who knows and understands the skin. Mm. And then they can give you your personalized skincare routine, which for anybody would include a good cleansing, a good toning, exfoliation once or twice a week, and a good moisturizer. Mm-hmm. It's all suited to your skin type. So you have to have, well, can I just go to a dermatologist instead of an esthetician or what's the difference? I love dermatologists. We do have to work with dermatologists. Um, but when it comes to taking care of your skin and pharmaceuticals that we're applying on our skin, your esthetician is going to be more knowledgeable. Now, if you have a cyst you need removing, if you have, you know, um, a growth on your skin um, that you think may be malignant, we need our dermatologists. They're doctors, right? They're medical professionals. If you have eczema, you have psoriasis, like we definitely need our dermatologists hmm. or extreme levels of acne, um, any other type of, of bad skin reactions or bad skin conditions, definitely need them. But when it comes to our day-to-day -day care of our skin, Our estheticians know the pharmaceuticals. They work with them. They they try different ones. Like we go to conventions and learn about them. Dermatologists would go to conventions and learn about different medications for the skin. Mm. So we're not doing medication. We're doing maintaining of proper health of the skin. Mm. Wow. I learned a lot here. You see, everything should be an educational experience. Thank you. We're there. Is there anything you would like to add or any topic that you want to talk about? No, I think we're good. We're good? Yeah. We did it? We did it. All right. Again, thank you, Sadia, for doing the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me once again. It's uh, It's been cool. And like I said, you're doing a, you're doing a really cool thing. It's a, it's a cool show you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Bye. Again, Sadia, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.